Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Happy Father's Day, and keep on with the dad jokes. They're good. <laughs> if you look with me in your Bibles at uh, Malachi chapter 4, I've been talking last Sunday about um, uh, God spoke from the Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three, that God spoke many times in many ways to our fathers by the prophets. And these last days he has spoken to us in his son. Well, one of the last recorded words of any prophet in the Old Testament comes from the book of Malachi. And I'm gonna read you the very last, let's see, the very last two verses of the book of Malachi. It says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The last thing, the last Old Testament prophet to speak said, I'm going to send my messenger, Elijah, which Jesus said was John the Baptist who came before he did, he says one of his functions is he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Lest I strike the land with a curse. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I guess in, in, um, in Malachi's time, they, would have had, they were having some problems with the hearts of the children and the hearts of the father being connected. They were not turned toward each other. And it was a dangerous place. In God's mind, it was not a good thing to have a disconnection between the fathers and the children. They needed a strong family to keep the land from coming into a cursed situation. Strong families are good for the nation, for the land, for the culture. They keep the curse away. Good families preserve a society. And the statistics bear this out. But strong families, what God wants. You remember why God called Abraham? Do you remember what he said? Genesis chapter 18, verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. We've been talking about that a lot. From the very beginning, God always had the nations in mind when he called Abraham. He said, through this nation, I'm going to bless all the nations. And he says this, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. I have chosen Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And then look what it says there, by doing righteousness and justice, doing something. Now, Abraham, as we know, was justified, made righteous by faith. Yet God wanted him to command his children after him to do these things. So that why? Look at the next part. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. See, Abraham was chosen to set up his household, his heart toward his children to keep them in the way of the Lord so that the Lord could bring about the blessing. Good families are a blessing to the nation because they are a channel for the grace of God and for the blessing of God. It's true. So in Malachi's time, there's evidently this breakdown of generations. 
The uh, father's hearts were not to the sons. The sons' hearts were not to the fathers. And you know, when you read about, um, do you remember the Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the curses? I think that's an interesting chapter for this reason. When you read the blessings, that's good. But when you read the curses, you get to see what God calls a curse. And sometimes you get some insight. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 32, one of the curses is this, your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and fell with longing for them all the day long, but you shall be helpless. Verse 41, he says, you shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours for they shall go into captivity. See, having children and having somebody else take them and raise them is what God calls a curse. But you know what? Isn't that happening today in many ways? What's the biggest fear of the church? Is that we'll lose our kids to the world. Somebody else will take them. Somebody else will raise them. Somebody else will influence them. See, God's not, God's not okay with that, is he? That's not something that God wants to see happen. So we're seeing it happening. We're seeing it happening today. And, you know, our, our church's solution in many times, and, and it's not wrong to do this, so don't get me wrong, but just to have, you know, awesome youth activities, we got to get them. You know what I mean? We have these sensational youth, youth groups or student ministries, as they call it today. And, and that's good. We need that. But what's actually God's solution to build strong families? It's to turn the hearts of the children to the father and the hearts of the father to the children. See, fathers, you are the key in this. You are absolutely key in this. For the children to not fall away, we need those hearts united. And it's two ways. It's two ways. It's not just one, one-sided. If you're a father, your heart needs to be towards your children. I don't know how a father can live and not have a heart to the children, but in our culture, we've minimalized fatherhood We've minimalized a lot of the contribution that men would bring not only to society, but to a family. It's, it's minimalized. And, uh, you know, you can almost, you know, even, even the joke, we joke, joking is fun, but joking about the dorky dad jokes and fathers are dork. You know, you're not a dork to your kids. They love you. They love your jokes. They will miss you when you quit telling your jokes. And I'm sure when my kids get older, they'll be rolling their eyes. <laughs> just like y'all's are if you have older kids, but they say, I'm convinced that they love you and their hearts are toward you and your hearts are toward them if you build that into your family. Fathers are the key to keeping our youth. They really, really are. You know, this is what they tried with Daniel. Do you remember Daniel? Him and his three friends, they were deported to Babylon when, when Jerusalem fell. Go to Daniel chapter one. Daniel chapter one. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. Why? to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate 
and his wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years. So they're going off to college. <laughs> Actually, they're going off to be indoctrinated. This is an indoctrination program. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar did. When he invaded a country, he would bring the sharpest of the young people in to serve in his government, in his kingdom, and they would run them through this indoctrination program. They would teach them their language, teach them their culture, give them their diet, and by the time they were done, they were good citizens of the state. Oh, citizens of Babylon. They were. So they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Of course, those three you know better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But listen, they were of the tribe of Judah. They were royalty. They were from the king's tribe. They were royalty. And so they didn't just get anybody. So imagine this. Imagine you're Daniel. And uh, all of a sudden, your dream and your hope for a future is gone. Boom over. You are deported to a strange land. You don't know anybody there except for three other friends who, who might be Christians. <laughs> Not Christians, but you get what I'm saying. You know what I mean? You're in a strange place. You're in a strange land. And then now you're being pressured to take the king's diet, take the king's culture, take the king's everything. And now you're going to not only be pressured, but you're going to be indoctrinated for three years. You're going to learn their language, their customs. You're going to learn their gods. What kept Daniel strong? What kept him worshiping his father's gods in a strange land? Daniel could have said, why bother? I'll never be king. If the prophet, I mean, the prophets all said this wouldn't happen except one, and he said it's going to happen for 80 years. How old am I going to be? I'm going to be 90, what, 95 years old when we go back if I live that long. Why bother? Why not just give in? Why not eat the king's food, drink the wine? Enjoy the culture. I'm a top dog here. I can do it. Why? What, what kept him? He could have given in. But you see, the devil wins when a godly generation fails to pass on what it has. Evil men take over when a godly generation cannot pass that on to the next generation. In fact, that's exactly, that's exactly how Evil people introduce new ideas into a culture. They divide the generations. Anybody familiar with Brother Andrew? You remember him? Rinkim? Are you the only one, Rinkim? And I introduced you to him. He, I don't know, Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew wrote a book that was called God's Smuggler. And he actually smuggled Bibles into behind the Iron Curtain during the time of all the, the communism and everything. And so he you know, wrote several books, firsthand reports of what he saw. And what they did, they took the kids to school and they indoctrinated them. And the first thing they did was drive a wedge between them and their parents. And they said, you can't worship your parents' gods. Science, quote unquote, science has proven there is no God. Science has, and they pro promoted Darwinism, atheism, and quote unquote, science. You hearing anything like that today at all? Did the same thing in Cuba. Divided parents from the, so the younger people did no longer respect their parents, they respected the state, right? And then they could radically introduce new ideas and change a culture. It's, it's not something that's new. It's well documented and it's been, been done. So what do you think the devil is trying to do with our kids and our families? He would love for us to put a wedge right between the fathers and the children. 
That way he can introduce some new idea to them, whether it works or not, who knows? It doesn't have to work. It just has to be a good idea, an idea worth dying for, worth striving for, right? Because, you know, anybody who's lived long enough has lived long enough to see ideas come and go. But a young person, this is the most important, biggest thing in the world. Let's do it. We're all in. We need that kind of zeal. <laughs> we really do. But we also need the wisdom of the older people. We need the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. So I'll just tell you this. You know, the, the okay boomer. Okay, that might be funny at times, but that's not from the heart of God to be so dismissive of a, of a whole generation. Okay, boomer. Hmm, we need them. We desperately need that, that zeal of the younger generation. We need them to challenge us, to say, why? why? You know, my daughter it will wear me out. You know, I actually thought one time I could go and uh, take her on errands with me. I wanted her to drive in the car and pray. And I thought, wouldn't it be great just to have my daughter with me? I'll take her with me when I can, you know? That's so why she's back in the car the whole time. Why is this? Why is this? Why is this? Dad, you remember you said that thing yesterday? Why is that? I mean, she just doesn't stop. Why, why, why? But we need that. We really, really need that because we need the younger people to look at what we're doing and say, why are you doing this? Is it producing fruit? There are some things, come on, we just, we've received as traditions and we just keep doing because we've always done them. And we need to let them go. We need to do things that produce fruit. But also we need the younger people to look at the older people and say, why are you doing this? And understand, maybe there's a reason. Maybe your idea has already been tried in a generation because history didn't actually start the day you were born. <laughs> Believe it or not, maybe it's been tried. Maybe it doesn't work. But see, we need both. We need both. We need the wisdom. We need the, the, the energy of the youth. And God wants the hearts of the fathers to be toward the children and the hearts of the children to be toward the fathers because a strong family is stability. It's a blessing to the nation. So Daniel, exiled to Babylon, would not let go of what he learned in his father's house. He wouldn't let it go. Look at verse 8. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. See, if you're a younger person, all of us really, but if you're a younger person, and if you're an older person with younger people you're raising, you need to build into them that kind of resolve. You need to build into yourself that kind of resolve. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. It doesn't even say he consulted with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It said Daniel resolved. You get the impression here that Daniel is the leader. He resolved he wouldn't do it. And he saved three other men, didn't he? He resolved he would not defile himself with the king's food or the king's wine. And you know what? That resolve, what did it lead to? It led to favor. If you want favor in your life, build in your life that kind of resolve to follow God and to honor God. Amen? So what's going on then in Malachi's time? where the hearts of the fathers are needing this correction and the hearts of the children. I want you to go back with me in time a hundred years to when they're actually laying the foundations for this temple. You'll find this in Ezra chapter three. 
the exiles had been returning from Babylon. And when they came back, they started building the second temple, also called Ezra's temple or Zerubbabel's temple. And they were laying the foundations of it in Ezra 3. And it says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, the king of Israel. So they went back and found the directions that David gave Solomon, and they're doing their best to reenact this, okay? They don't have the prosperity that Solomon had. They don't have the pomp and circumstance, but they're doing their best. They got the priests, they got the robes, they got the trumpets, and they're trying to reenact what Solomon did. You remember Solomon, right? And the glory of the God came and he filled the temple and the priests couldn't stand and all of that. It's amazing. It was amazing. But they're, they're, they're here, they're doing it. And, and while they're doing it, it says, all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But listen to verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. They wept with a loud. The younger people are cheering. The older men who saw the first house, they're weeping. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. Come on, guys, we know the old music is way better than this stuff the younger people are listening to. <laughs> when I hear it, I want to weep. <laughs> but get, get what's going on here. The older people who remember the glory of the first house, they know it's not like what it was before. It's different. It's a different temple. It's a whole different time. Everything's different. It's not what we always had. But was God in it? Was God in the building of the second house? Was it his directive? Here's the thing. The older people, they knew the glory of the first house. The younger people, all they knew was exile. They grew up in exile. They'd never seen the glory days of Israel. They were born in captivity. All they had was an idea, a dream. You see what I'm saying? And the older people are crying because it wasn't what they had. The younger people are full of fervor and energy, taking, building the temple for the future. But they knew it wasn't like the first. Jeremiah had to come in and prophesy during this. This was actually 50 years before they started this. It says this, Jeremiah 33, verse 10 and 11. Thus saith the Lord, in this place of which you say, it is a waste and without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voices of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts for the Lord is good for his steadfast love endures forever for I will restore the fortunes of the land as at the first, saith the Lord. There must have been a sense of awe as they were doing that. Did you notice the Ezra passage? That's exactly what they were singing. For he is good and his steadfast love endures toward, forever towards Israel. They had a sense that they were fulfilling prophecy. 
They were doing it, but the older generation, they knew it wasn't like it used to be. You know, if you're younger here, you've never known the golden age of America in the 1950s. You've never known the revolutionary 60s. I've heard some people say that, you know, compared to the protests that have happened here last year, the they just pale in comparison to what was going on in the 60s. I don't know, that was before me. But, uh, you know, I, I think this is the first protest kind of thing I've ever seen. No, it was going on other times. You know, unless you've lived under a Jimmy Carter presidency, what do you know but what you've been told, right? You know, or Ronald Reagan or Bill Clinton. You know, now we're getting into my era, you know. You know, I, I actually, you know, watch those airplanes hit those towers on TV. There are people, you know, who have not. They only learned about it in school. Some of you, um, you know, you don't know what it's like to live in a time of the Vietnam War. Some of you have never actually had to wear bell bottoms. <laughs> that might be a blessing. <laughs> Some of you are starting to wear bell bottoms again. Please don't. <laughs> Just take it for what it's worth. <laughs> anyway. You know, sometimes, you, you know, a lot of you guys here, you, you remember a time before microwaves, <laughs> social media, cell phones, right? But could you imagine, just like those, uh, those returning of the exiles to Jerusalem who were born in captivity, could you imagine being born in a time when all you knew was microwaves, cell phones, and social media? Before you even became a teenager, your parents already had your profile all over Facebook and everything you've ever done documented. Can you imagine growing up in that? Because that is a generation that these kids grew up in, and you, if you're older, have not experienced that. It's different. Now, for me, you guys know I met my wife on social media. I met her on Facebook. So I did Facebook at, at one time in my life. But, you know, for me, when I have my, my technology around, I tend to, you know, and you can say I watch too many videos or whatever, but I tend to watch videos or, or read news. It's, it's, an ex, it's an extension of me. I don't find my identity in it, right? But if you were growing up and that's all, that is your social expression in many ways. It's now it's built into you. I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying if you're older and you've not done that, we need to seek to understand that. We need to seek to understand how the generation growing up with only knowing this is different from the generation that has seen a time when you couldn't get a hold of, you went for a drive and you couldn't get a hold of somebody because they did not have a cell phone. And if they had a cell phone, half the time it was not in service. Those actually, to me, <laughs> were blessing times. But, but I'm just saying, if you grew up in that, your mindset's going to be different. It's just gonna be different. And we don't have all, you know, any right to say that they can't be used of God because they don't do it like the way I did it. Is that right? This is what um, God said through Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel. This is during the time the temple's being built. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sealtiel, governor of Judea, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. Well, I should just skip that first verse. <laughs> the high priest and to all the remnant of the people and say this, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? 
Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. Is God with this new temple? He sure was. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you way back when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. See, God is doing something. God is building us into a temple, right? We are the temple of God. He is building us into a temple. It might not look like what we're used to in other times, but if God is doing the building and we will allow God to do the building, what kind of glory can he inhabit the church with in these end times? Through Zechariah, he said this, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. The older people knew it wasn't like what it was at first, but God was going to restore it and it was going to be better. But it took both. It took, it took the older people and the younger people working together to build this thing that God was doing. So come back with me a hundred years. Let's go back to Malachi. What's going on in Malachi? hundred years later, the temple's already built. The priests are going through the motions, doing their duties, but they're bored. hundred years later, they're still bored. They're disillusioned. They're disheartened because the glory of the God never inhabited that temple the way that they did in Solomon's time. By this time, they're reading about it. But the glory of God never inhabited that second temple. And they're bored and they're saying, why bother? They're offering sacrifices that are blemished. A man would commit a, 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 a male um, goat to, to sacrifice to the Lord and he would bring a blind goat and the priest would accept it and they would sacrifice it. They weren't honoring their wives or their youth. They weren't faithful in their marriages. They weren't bringing the, the tithes of the land to the temple and to the storehouses. They were getting sloppy because they were thinking, why? Why bother? But Malachi says to them, don't stop. Hold on. He's coming. Malachi 3, still prophesying this. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Hang on. Keep doing the right thing. Cleanse yourselves. Give the right kind of offerings. Honor the wife of your youth. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. They're doing all of these things. And he's saying, get it right. Reform yourselves because the glory of the God is still coming. He will inhabit this house. And do you know that this is the house? That when Mary and Joseph came to the temple to present Jesus to the Lord, this is the temple. Now, Herod did a big remodel on it. So sometimes they call it Herod's temple but this is the foundation of it. And when Mary and Joseph came, remember Simeon the prophet was waiting for them. And the Lord had told him, you will not see death until you see the Lord's Messiah. And what did he say? He said, now he took Jesus in his arms and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation for the Gentile and for glory to your people, Israel. The glory of God entered the temple. That temple had a key role to play in God's hand. He told him, build it, keep going. I will restore. And he said, I want to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. In closing, go with me to Ephesians chapter six. I need my children in the room for this. (laughs) Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, something I find interesting here is this. Uh, Ephesians 6, 14, it says, this is the first commandment with a promise, 6, 1 through 4, rather. It says that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. You can tell clearly Paul is writing to a mixed group here, the Jews and Gentiles, and he's taken this passage from the Old Testament and he's applying it to the church and he's saying it will go well, you may live long in the land, okay? But if you go back to Deuteronomy and read it, Deuteronomy 5, 16, it says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You can see that is clearly an Israel-specific promise in Deuteronomy. Would you agree? As he's giving them the land, they're in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is about to leave. Joshua is about to take over and lead them into the land. And they make, they're restating the Ten Commandments. And God is saying that it may go well with you in the land that I'm giving you. So why does Paul take that Israel-specific promise and he gives it to the church? Why does he do that? Because Paul understood what I've been saying for weeks too. God's claim on Israel was just an advanced signal of God's claim on the whole earth. Isn't that good? So he says, honor your father and mother, the first commandment with a promise connected to it, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. The land is better. There's stability in the culture. There's stability in the land when parents are honored by children and how they do that, they also give them instruction. The next part, what's it say? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the best thing that we can do for as fathers is actually have something to pass on to our children. That's the best thing we can do. You know, we need to ourselves live a life of prayer. We need to pray for the lost, pray for the saints, pray for the church, pray for the government. When we live our life of prayer ourselves, we have something to pass on to our kids, right? We need to live a life of generous giving. We need to help others who are not like us, support people who are doing the work of the ministry. We need to do things like that. Why? Because that's something we can pass on to our children. Amen? We need to be involved with ministry. We need to be helping people who are not our own. Husband, you need to love your wife. Pass that on to your kids. Build that resolve into them. Teach your kids about life. Connect with them. We have something, you know, fathers, you are the key. Keeping our kids from falling away. You are the key. And God honors fathers. All through the word, God honors fathers. 
And I just want to take a few moments in closing here in prayer. Let's do this. Let's just have the Father stand up right where you're at. I just want to pray a prayer over you. And I want to bless the fathers. And if you're a young, uh, everybody in here has a father. Maybe your father's not living or maybe you're estranged from your father. You know, I, you get into some of this stuff, you, you, speak the, you speak the ideals of the scripture. You speak God's plan. You share what God has revealed in his word, how he designed it. But of course, we understand that not everybody's come from a good home where a father's present, you know, and sometimes fathers have abandoned their families. Sometimes fathers have, um, uh, you know, maybe passed away before their time, different things. And uh, it's not to say, you know, your past does not have to determine your future for sure. But as much as we can, we need to honor the institution of the family we need to honor the place that God has placed in our society, in our church, in our families. We need to honor that. And if you're a young person and, uh, you know, you, you, you're acting like, you know, okay, whatever kind of thing, understand that God has placed this person in your life to help you, to raise you up, to build these things into you so that you have resolve when you go out into the world. When you find yourself in Nebuchadnezzar's court and the pressure to conform to the, to the to new world order, you won't go that way. You'll stay with God. You'll stay with the kingdom because you'll have this resolve built into you. You know, I actually, I envision a church where the elders, the older people and the younger people can worship the Lord together like we do, can study the word together and experience God together. You know, and I know there's going to be times that we, you know, the youth are going to want to go do their own things. That's great. You know, I, I understand that. But when it comes down to experiencing God, I want the old and the young to be all together experiencing the Lord, experiencing the presence of the Lord, studying the word together. Isn't that a blessing? So, Father, I lift up these fathers before you today, Lord. I thank you for what you say about fathers, Lord. And in Jesus' name, I bless them. I bless them. And I thank them for their contribution to their family. Thank you for your contribution to your family. I thank you for your contribution to the church. I thank you for your contribution to the kingdom of God. Father, give them insight and wisdom. Father, turn their hearts even more so to their children. Father, do it in a supernatural way. Restore their children to them. Let their sons come from afar for those who are estranged and be restored to their father. Father, do what you said you would send you would send the prophet to do and turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. Father, that the families may be strong. And even though many years have passed, even though children are grown up and had children of their own, Father, please do that miracle. Do that miracle in the families, Lord, so that we can pass on what we've learned so that we can pass on to our children and to the next generation so that they don't have to start over from scratch. It's not your will that they start all over trying to discover you and find you from the beginning. But Lord, just like we're running a relay race, as the older generation has run hard, let them be able to hand that baton off and encourage that younger generation to keep running the same course for the kingdom, the plan that you have for the church, the plan that you have for the kingdom, Lord. We're not starting over. We're not gonna go till up the ground 
we're going to pass on what we've known in you, what we've experienced of you to the next generation. Father, we've experienced great moves of God. We've experienced the, 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 the moves of the charismatic movement and a Pentecostal movement. Father, let our children grow up in that. Let our children be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let them be the ones that the, that, uh, the book of Acts talks about, that your old men will see dreams and your young men will see visions. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Father, do that in this place. Do that with the families in this place. Father, turn the hearts of the father to the children. Turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Lord, let there be restoration of families. Let there be renewal of, of relationship, Lord. Father, that there may be an expression of your faithfulness in our families in this church. In the name of Jesus, I pray, may it be so. Amen and amen.